So as you heard the scripture read, go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We are looking at verses 5 and 6 this morning. At the beginning of college, I thought I had it all together. I mean, I was one of those kids who had organizers for my organizers. And so when I sat down to register for classes my freshman year, I didn't just have my classes for that semester figured out. I had looked ahead at the course offerings for the next four years with the major I thought I wanted, and I had charted out everything. And when I started, it seemed like it was all going according to plan. But as I made my way through my chosen major, my program, the required courses, I I began to feel a lack of peace. You see, I actually started not doing very well in a couple of the classes that I registered for. I'm not one of those math science guys, and I thought that's what I wanted to do, but as I took the classes, it just wasn't shaking out. And so I ended up having to make some changes to that perfect schedule. I needed to really consider what I was going to do, and I ended up changing my major. And then suddenly, my future that I had, I had had all charted out became very uncertain. And it was made worse at times because as I looked around at my friends that seemed to have it all together too, they already had plans for their job. They already had plans for how their major was going to do this and that. They had internships lined up. And there were many nights that I started asking the question that I think is prevalent among many Christians today when we're faced with uncertainty. And that question is, what is God's will for my life? We don't just ask that question whenever we're faced with our plans falling apart. Many times we just ask that question because we're faced with all sorts of decisions as we navigate our life. I mean, how many of us ask the question, where should I go to college, let alone what do I do when I get there? Maybe you're asking the question this morning, who should I marry? Should I apply for that promotion? Should I move because of that new job opportunity? Maybe you're asking the question this morning, should I go to the church plant? And there's many other questions besides. And if we're honest too, the methods that we use to try to discover God's will in our lives are probably just as numerous as the number of questions. I remember actually during that season of uncertainty, I was just reading my Bible in my normal quiet time and I had one of those chunky ESV study Bibles. And as I finished that morning, I accidentally knocked my Bible off my desk. And when I did so, I reached for it and, and whenever I slapped it to try to grab it from falling off, I, I, I snagged one of the pages. And when I pulled it up, I, I was like, oh my goodness, maybe there's something here. And, and lo and behold, no joke. I had snagged the page from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And so I thought to myself, oh my gosh, is this my call to missions? And it's funny because if we're honest, we often treat God's will that way, don't we? We often treat God's will as if it's some hidden gem just waiting to be found behind the next coincidental event or perhaps a fleece laid on the ground. And the reason for this is because if we're honest, we want certainty, And we want certainty in the will of God because on a more deep level, what we're actually asking is what is the blessed life? We want to know the right answers so that we don't fall out of God's favor. We we want to make sure that as much as we can, we can know the plan so that we can have confidence that everything's going to work out. But brothers and sisters, I think the reason why we struggle in discovering God's will in our life is because we are approaching the question the wrong way. 
What if God's will isn't found by tests and random coincidences? What if God's will isn't hidden at all? What if God, in His love for us as His children, has actually already told us how to know and experience the joy of walking in His presence and in His will? By God's grace, He has. And what I hope to show you today from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is that the way in which we discover the will of God in our lives is by simply walking in trusting obedience to Him. And as Solomon's going to show us, it all starts then with an attitude of the heart. The first command we see in Proverbs 3, 5, and our first point here in finding, discovering the Lord's will, is we need to trust in the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Two words are important there. The first is trust. And the word trust there means uh, placing your, your hope in, casting yourself fully on, finding your confidence in. And so if you're going to do that, you want to make sure that what you're putting your trust in is trustworthy, right? You have to remember in the context here, Solomon is giving advice to his son on how to live the blessed life. He, he presents a dichotomy of the way of wisdom, which is marked by peace and prosperity and success, walking in the will of God, and then it's, it's contrasted against the way of, of crookedness and brokenness, the way of folly. And so here, as he's been going through the chapters so far, he's been focusing a lot on knowledge and on fear of the Lord, which is true, those things are necessary. But here he uses the word trust, indicating that something needs to be true about our hearts as well. You know, recently I was in the mountains with my family and we came to a river and uh, my kids and I wanted to traverse across the river. Uh, But because of some recent heavy rain, the current was pretty strong. And so as I stood there on the shore, I wanted to scope out, all right, which rocks look good, right? Uh, Which which stones do I need to, to step on to get across the river? And then I actually had to step on them in order to make it across, right? Well, as I was thinking about that experience, I realized that there are two realities that went into my decision to put my foot on any given stone in that river. One was that my choice was actually being governed by my desires. I desired not to die. I desired to make it across to where my family was. I desired protection for me and my kids. But then there was another reality. The the real test wasn't just standing on the shore and trying to scope out whether the stones could affect my desires. The real test came in actually stepping on the rocks, actually putting my full weight on them. And I give you this as a picture because I think it illustrates what Solomon knows to be true about how we navigate life. Each day we're faced with countless decisions that are informed by our desires and guided by that in which we place our confidence. And so Solomon here is giving advice saying, look, as you stand on the shore and as you're trying to scope out your path, let me point you to the only rock, the only shore foundation that not only can give you your desires and affect them for you, but he's firm enough to stand on to get you there. And so he uses the word Lord here as the object, and he doesn't just use any word. He uses the covenant name of God. He uses Yahweh, bringing to mind that this God is the God who chose and loved a people for himself, revealed himself to them to bring them into fellowship through the old covenant system of worship. 
And this God, as the covenant God, is trustworthy. He's trustworthy because he's powerful. Later on in chapter 3, he, he says in verse 19, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Solomon saying, you want to trust someone? Trust the creator God of the universe who made everything and who owns everything and holds all things together. And he's not just powerful, he's also sovereign. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. Or in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, Paul reminds us that he works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Nothing's outside of our God's control. Everything is being ordered by him for his sovereign purposes. And then in the context of that relationship with him, lest you're worried he may change his mind or he may use that power to your disadvantage, Solomon reminds us by using this covenant name that God is faithful as well. Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God and he is the faithful God. Like we sang about earlier, who keeps his covenant love to a thousand generations. God is powerful, he's sovereign, and he's faithful. And he's, he's not just those things so that he can get us to the end goal, but actually what this really serves to highlight is that God himself is the end goal. He's the centerpiece of all reality. And it's his purposes that prevail. He's not just the firm foundation. He is the destination. And so we can stop right here by way of application to examine our footing as we begin this journey of discovering God's will. What are you trusting in? I think some diagnostic questions can be helpful to see if we're trusting in this powerful, sovereign creator God who's over everything. When you're faced with a question or some type of uncertainty, what seizes your affections? What captures your attention? What are you hoping in to get across the river? If the answer, if you're honest with yourself, is not the Lord, it's a good indication that perhaps our affection, our desires may be placed from the very beginning on the wrong thing. So Solomon's wisdom here is with all your heart, with all of who you are, with your whole being, start the journey by surrendering to Him. Place your full confidence in Him because it's only when He's the object of your affection and the source of your confidence that you can begin to know His will for you. But this is hard, isn't it? It's hard because it requires humility. We need this reminder that God is all of these things and that He actually is good and has all of these purposes and has this strength and this power because we're tempted to not trust in him and we're tempted to trust in who? Ourselves. Which leads us to our next point, Solomon's exhortation, do not trust in yourself or the way he phrases it, do not lean on your own understanding. Solomon here is cautioning his son and us that one of the greatest hindrances to experiencing the joy of walking in the will of God are the shackles of self-dependence. You know, no matter if it's a trial or a temptation, or maybe even if it's a blessing, something good in our lives, aren't we prone to start evaluating things through the lens of our own experience and through the lens of our own reasoning? 
And it's not that we shouldn't think. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Solomon's saying. It's not that the key to the Christian life is taking the brains that God's given us and putting them on a shelf and then just trusting Him through blind faith. No, not at all. It's not that we shouldn't use those faculties, but Solomon is just reminding us that while we do have rational minds, they're limited. Our perspective is just limited. And they're limited because we're finite. God's the one with all knowledge, not us. God's the one with all insights, not us. We can't plumb out the depths of everything that's happening in the world. We can barely plumb out the depths of what will happen this afternoon because we don't know the future. We don't know how things are going to turn out. And so the reason we shouldn't lean on our own understanding is because to lean on our own understanding from the very get-go limits our wisdom and our insight for what to do in our next steps. There's an illustration I think is helpful for this. I want you to consider with me a moment the sun. We know that the sun is powerful as it sits in the sky. We know that it's, it's big, it's radiantly bright. But during an eclipse, what happens? The much smaller moon moves in front of the sun, and as it does so, slowly the, the light from the sun goes away, and we start to not be able to see the sun anymore. I give this as an illustration because I think that's what happens whenever we make an idol of ourselves by depending on ourselves. You see, when we trust in our own understanding as we navigate life, what we're doing is crafting an idol of self-reliance that slowly passes in front of the light and of the glory and of the knowledge and of the purposes of God, and then it presents a dual danger for us. And the first danger is that process of elevating ourselves, it stirs doubt in our hearts. Because we don't see God and who He is anymore, because we're too focused on ourselves and our own limited perspective, we start to question whether or not He's really there or if His promises are true. And then the result of that problem is that it also spurs disobedience in our life because as the darkness grows, we walk less in the light of His wisdom from His Word and begin to substitute His wisdom for our own. And we see this play out in Scripture in many, many examples. I'm going to give you a few that I think highlight some of our failure modes, if we're honest. And these failure modes show and demonstrate the fruit, really, of what it means to trust in ourselves. And the first failure mode here is faithless fear. You remember from Numbers 13, where God had promised to deliver the land of Canaan into the hands of his people. And Moses takes the people and and chooses representatives to go spy out the land, to go scope it out. Their job was to go into the land and to report back. And when they do, instead of being filled with faith in God's ability to, to give them that land as he had promised them in his word through Moses, what happened? They were instead filled with fear because they looked at the strength and the fortifications of the enemy and they immediately started assessing it through the lens of their own understanding. And so instead of trusting God and moving forward as Caleb was exhorting them to do, they turn away from God. And do you remember what the penalty was for that? They received the curse of God and ultimately wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In what ways maybe are you led in fear to assess things through your own understanding 
And as a result, shy away from walking in bold faith in God, trusting that He's able to provide. Are there ways that perhaps you're fearful this morning and God's calling you to walk in obedience? The second one is what I call taking matters into your own hands. This is a different failure mode. You see this in places like 1 Samuel 13 where Saul was the king of Israel. The Philistines were mustering an attack against him. And before going to war, Samuel had prophesied that he would come in seven days' time to offer a sacrifice to seek the Lord's blessing before going into battle. Well, during that seven days, the the army of Israel started to look at their circumstances and, and many of them started to be tempted to flee. And as Saul was seeing this play out, he began to worry and grow anxious because he was nervous about losing the impending battle. But instead of trusting what God had said through Samuel, and instead of being patient and waiting on Samuel to show up and to seek God's blessing in the way that God prescribed, what did Saul do? He took matters into his own hands and offered the sacrifice himself. Do you remember what the penalty for that action was? Samuel prophesied later on to Saul that because he disobeyed in this way, even though God would have established his kingdom forever had he obeyed, now the throne would be ripped from him and given to another. He shouldn't have leaned on his own understanding. He should have patiently waited on the Lord and not taken matters into his own hands. Aren't we tempted to do the same thing often? Aren't you tempted whenever something comes to maybe bend the rules of what God's Word says? Maybe you really want a spouse, and so you look to God's Word, but you can't find someone who meets the qualifications. And so, did God really say that I I can't marry an unbeliever? And you start to entertain that and go down that path. And and that's just one example. There's many ways we're tempted to bend the Word of God, to take matters into our own hands instead of trusting Him. Sometimes, third failure mode, we're simply ineffective because of our unbelief in ministry. My mind goes to examples like the disciples when they were asked by Jesus to feed the 5,000 and they looked at the crowd and the great need. And what did the disciples do? They looked around, they said, we can't do this. Maybe we should just send them home. Or think about when the disciples were sent out to go heal the sick and cast out demons. And then there was that demon, like Andy was preaching a few weeks back, that they couldn't drive out because they weren't leaning on the Lord and weren't turning to Him in their strength, but instead were looking within and they realized that their resources were coming up short. But they didn't take the step of then taking it to the Lord and trusting that His resources were sufficient for the task. As we think about what we're doing here at First Baptist in the area of evangelism, could it be that perhaps one of the reasons why we're ineffective in our ministry, maybe in our own lives, in evangelism is because we don't actually believe deep down that God will save people when we proclaim the gospel to Him, to them? It's not a guarantee that every person we talk to just in faithfulness, God will automatically save them. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, are we looking to our own strength and our own resources coming up short, and perhaps that motivates us to actually disobey instead of continuing on in obedience, trusting Him? Fourth and last failure mode, sometimes this self-reliance manifests itself as doubting discouragement. You may remember from Psalm 73, Asaph, he lands in a place of discouragement when he looks around and sees the success of the wicked. It seems like they're prospering. 
But what's really interesting is at one point in that psalm, he comes to a place where he looks around and then he starts to assess his own walk with the Lord and he starts to question whether or not God really is there and whether or not his walk with the Lord is even worth it. He looks around and and looks within, but he, he doesn't take that step to look up until the very end when he finally does come back to the temple of the Lord. And then he worships God, and he's reminded that he should not have leaned on his own understanding, but instead should have trusted that God is sovereign over those circumstances and that God is the one who is his encouragement and his strength. And brothers and sisters, we're tempted to do the same thing in our day and age. Let me give you an example. Perhaps you're scrolling social media and you start to see the success of others, even believers that you know and love. But you don't have the same things they do or perhaps you don't have the same things you think they have through the filter of Instagram. And then you start to doubt. Does God love me like he loves that person? Is God withholding something good from me? Is, is this worth it at all to try to follow him and try to obey him if I'm not getting what I think I want? Maybe it's not external to you. Maybe as you look around at your, at your circumstances, you start to assess your own life through the lens of your own expectations of what you thought it should be. I thought I'd be in a different place right now, God. Is, is that perhaps because you've, you've withheld some sort of blessing from me? Brothers and sisters, we're tempted to look to ourselves in these ways and probably many others, but the reminder here is to not lean on our own understanding, because ultimately it creates this downward spiral. You see, the more we look to our own understanding, the more anxious we become, and that we are more anxious because we are completely aware at those moments of our finite ability to be in charge of our own lives. And that's because we were never meant to be in charge of our lives. We were meant to be in relationship with God and to enjoy Him forever. And so what's the antidote to this sinful self-reliance that can cause us to be ineffective and to not trust God's goodness and His purposes in our lives? The amazing reality of it is Scripture shows us that the antidote to this self-reliance is as simple as it is profound. It's remembering His faithfulness confessing our need for Him, and then casting ourselves back on Him by faith. One of my favorite examples of this from Scripture comes from Second Chronicles 20. The Moabites and the Ammonites are coming up there against Jehoshaphat in battle. There it's called a great horde, a great horde against them. What's fascinating though is how Jehoshaphat responds is he goes to the temple in front of the assembly and he prays. And in that prayer, he remembers the goodness of God. He remembers the sovereignty of God. He remembers the promises that God gave to his people, that God would not leave them and forsake them. He remembers that God said to cry out to him during times of distress and that he would come and save his people. He remembers the covenant promises. And then powerfully, he closes that prayer with this statement. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then God answers that prayer in a powerful way. He comes to Jehoshaphat and he says, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, it's God's. I love that passage for two reasons. One, I I think it gives us a great example of a faith-filled response of what it means to trust in God 
and to not lean on our own understanding. We train our hearts to not depend on ourselves by quickly running to God and acknowledging that we don't know what to do, by fixing our eyes on Him, and by trusting that His promises that He's given us in His Word are true, and that He is faithful and powerful to bring them to fruition in our lives. But secondly, it also reminds us that our greatest battle is actually not external to us. It's not actually the hordes. Our greatest battle is actually internal to us. It's our own sin. And our external circumstances that come our way, the the questions and the anxieties of our life, what they really do is they just bring to surface that which was always there in our hearts that we were leaning on for salvation. The sickness that affects all humanity is our rebellion in our hearts to the God who created us and who stands over us as the holy judge. But the good news of the gospel that we celebrate this morning is that while our sins were like a great horde arrayed against us, God's answer wasn't that we should just look to our own strength or that we should just go out there and hope for the best based off of what we can contrive by our own designs. Instead, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the sin penalty, to completely cover it over through His death on the cross, and then He gave us Jesus' glorious resurrection to show that the victory has already been won in all of the anxieties that may come in our life. The strength comes from not our power, but His power to save. The freedom from self-reliance and the shackles that would seek to hold us back from effectiveness in God does not come from us trying to find the key ourselves. It comes by turning our attention to the Lord because the battle is not ours. It is His. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. But you may be wondering, okay, Chase, that's all good and well. My heart is now situated. I get it. I need to trust in God. I need to not lean on myself. But what about those practical decisions that I run to in my life? How do I make decisions that honor the Lord that align with His will? After telling us to get our hearts right in God first, Solomon gives us, I think, the answer And that's walking in faith-filled obedience. Look again at Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, he says, acknowledge him, and he will set straight your paths. This statement powerfully gets at the heart of the problem with how we frame the question in seeking God's will. That word acknowledge there doesn't just mean to chart out your own path as you walk and then occasionally look up for a blessing from God or just to check in. Is that good? Great. That's not what acknowledge means. Sometimes it's how we use it in English. That's not what the word is getting at here. Instead, this word means to know. So the invitation here is that as we walk in our ways, which means as we make choices, as we, as we determine our next steps, the invitation isn't to merely try to get some list of answers from God. It's actually an invitation to work out our lives in the context of a loving relationship based off of knowing God Himself. And that's the key to reframing the question. Brothers and sisters, the primary goal of our walks with Christ is not merely to know the intricate answers of His will, it's to know Him. God's desire is that we actually are brought along with Him in the journey because His ultimate goal in our faith 
journey with Christ is not merely to get us to a particular goal that we have, but to conform us more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And to help accomplish this, God's given us two powerful things that we often neglect. The first is He's given us His Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, God wants His will for your life so badly that He's actually placed His very Spirit in your heart so that as you navigate life, He's the one actually speaking through the Word to conform you into what He would have you do. He's the one that aims our heart towards that which pleases God because He's the one that amplifies the person and work of Christ. And then God has also given us His Word. His word is what reveals to us his character and what tells us the kind of life that increases fellowship with him. So here's how this works. Here's how it plays out. As you get to know God through his word and in fellowship with the spirit, your desires begin to be conformed into his desires. This is what Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not saying that God's like some cosmic vending machine that you just trust in Him and want Him to be your desire and He'll give you whatever you want. No, very powerfully, He's saying that as you delight yourself in the Lord, your wants start to become His wants. Your desires start to become His desires. And so God gives you the desires of your hearts because your desires are ultimately pointing back to Him. And then it doesn't just start with your heart our end there, it also transfers into our minds and our thoughts. Your thoughts as your affections change begin to be bent towards God's thoughts and His purposes as well. Is this not what Paul says in Romans 12 when he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern by testing what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect? You see, the truth here is that as our affections change and as we seek God's will through His Word, we start to have our thoughts and our purposes align with Him as well. Our minds are transformed such that the choices we begin to make are choices that are aligned with Him. So the picture here is that as we read the Word and as we trust the Spirit through prayer, He's the one working to renew our minds, equipping us by faith to know what that next step that we need to take is. Psalm 119, 105, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We don't always know what the final destination is, but God through his word and by his spirit illumines what's necessary for the next step. And so instead of being anxious about this big decision or that big decision, encouragement that Solomon's giving us here is to just start obeying by walking in what you already know to be God's will trusting that through that obedience, he'll order your steps. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 6 whenever he's attacking the anxieties that can arise, especially whenever we're worried about provision. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All these things will be added unto you. Or as Adrian Rogers put it years ago, I heard a pastor say it this way, if you want to know God's will for the next 15 years, Simply do his will for the next 15 minutes. And by that he just means this truth here, that the way you actually trust the Lord is by walking in obedience to what he's already revealed. And as we walk with him through trusting obedience, he sets straight our paths. And so what do we get busy doing then? 
Well, we already know God wants us to make disciples. If you're wondering what's the will of God for my life, it's going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and teaching them to obey all He's commanded until the end of the age. 100% God's will 100% of the time to be aligned with that mission. Or through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Is it in God's will for you to pray and depend on Him daily? Absolutely. Is it in God's will for you to read His Word and to meditate on it day and night and to guard uh, your heart so that you can understand and have your affections changed for Him? Yes, that's 100% His will 100% of the time. So my encouragement to you from God's Word is start doing what He's already told us to do. And then trust that as you walk in faith, He will guide your steps and He will get us to where He wants us to be. And that's very important because we need to be reminded too that He gets us to where He wants us to be. The question, remember, is God's will, not our will. And that's important because we don't always get what we want, do we? Because God's will is to work everything out for our good, that often means not giving us what we think is for our good in this life. It also doesn't eliminate trials because God's will is to conform us into Christ's image. And so he may purposefully allow a trial or a tribulation to come our way to teach us a greater dependence on him. It also doesn't eliminate suffering and persecution because remember, God's will and his mission is to make his glory known throughout the ends of the earth. And so sometimes he may purposefully direct our paths towards suffering for the advance of the gospel because at the end, that's what he wants to accomplish. Places like Acts 16 um, display this very well. You may remember there that Paul was rerouted to Philippi straight into the Philippian jail. And why? Because God had a member of his elect, the Philippian jailer, who was there and needed to hear the gospel through his witness. Sometimes the Lord brings us through trials and tribulations like that because his ultimate goal is to conform us more into his image and to cause our hearts to depend on him. And so we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We do not lean on our own understanding In all of our ways, we acknowledge Him. And then with all of that, if we do those things, the promise is, verse 6, He will make straight our paths. And so, if He's the one making our paths straight, that means, point four, we can rest in God's providence. The word make straight in that verse implies a smoothening of the road an elimination of obstacles, a a paving of the way to get to where God wants you to be. And I think the way that he does this is through both protection and direction. Protection in the sense of as we walk in obedience to Christ, we're actually guarded and protected and shielded from the many different challenges that come through sin, are we not? You think about times that you've sinned and it's broken a relationship, Or perhaps there's some other earthly penalty that you had to pay in consequence for your sin. God protects us from those consequences and the pains and trials because when we walk in righteousness, we we, we very practically just avoid those things. But also I think he does this guidance through direction. As we walk with him, he providentially closes some doors and opens others to lead us down the path that He wants us to go that He knows is best for our lives, even if He doesn't choose to tell us what that is. 
And I think this second one is very difficult for us to accept his direction because often it's only ever clear in hindsight. Often as you're walking, the path feels like it's crooked. You can't piece together what God is doing. It's, it's sort of like a tapestry where on the back, all you see are the knots and the, how the threads are going from one side to another because God hasn't yet turned it around to show you the beautiful picture that's on the front. It's only clear in hindsight how God is working all this together. And so it's hard to trust Him. It's hard to believe that everything's actually working out for our good and for His glory like He promises us. You know, one thing I didn't tell you earlier about my academic journey is that there was actually one piece of my schedule when I sat down to register that didn't fit. When I sat down, again, I had all my courses charted out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had the class. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful schedule. I was very proud of it. But when I sat down to register, the class that I wanted to take, Japanese, was full. And so I turned around to the advisor that was walking back and forth, and I asked her, I said, what do I do? I, I need, this, this is the class. I need this class. And she said, just register for any other class in that slot. You can always transfer out your first couple of weeks. I said, great. So I scroll, scroll, scroll. And I said, oh, let me, what's a language that's available? How about Chinese? Chinese, Japanese, same thing. <laughs> so I, I click register for Chinese, and I was like, I, I wasn't even going to buy the books. I thought I would just transfer out first week, and it would be fine. Well, to my surprise, unlike what my advisor said, the Japanese class never opened. So I begrudgingly went to the bookstore and I bought the book for Integrated Chinese Level 1. And I remember walking into class for the first time and this American named Eric Henry walks in and I was surprised, but his Chinese was excellent. And as he taught, I just fell in love with this language. I fell in love with the characters and the history and... And I was like, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stick this out. And so I ended up walking through Chinese. And what's so powerful is God used Chinese to really give me a heart, not just for the Chinese people specifically, but for the nations as a whole. You see, it was through my love for the Chinese language that God put in me and developed over time that I had a mutual friend matchmake me with my now wife, Laura, who also had an interest in Chinese and serving overseas. And it was through that that I began to get involved with international ministry, both at NC State with my wife and through other means, and my heart for the nations continued to grow. And it was during that season of uncertainty that I alluded to earlier that I was also involved in home fellowship, and there was a brother in the home fellowship that his wife was about to give birth, and, and he said, hey, I just need you guys to pray that the Lord would provide an ESL teacher on Wednesday nights just for a couple of weeks while my wife is recovering. And then he asked me, Chase, would you be willing to do that? And I thought, well, I'm not doing anything on Wednesday nights. Sure, I'll give it a shot. And I was afraid because I had never taught before. I never taught English. I had never been in an environment like that. But I said yes to that serving opportunity. And let's just say I've been filling in for that brother for 12 years. <laughs> and it was through that and it was through serving with my wife in international ministry and it was through getting involved here at the church that eventually the offer came to me to come on staff, something I had never engineered for myself. And then Andy and Andy and the elders gave me opportunities to preach and to teach, and I started to fall in love with God's Word 
and with his people. I thought I was supposed to go overseas to China, but the Lord brought some difficult providences into my and Laura's life that rerouted us to stay here. And then through all of that, he directed us to just get more involved. And I tell you all of these things not because I'm trying to draw attention to myself and it's not to highlight that the road was easy because it wasn't. There were many times that as I looked at my life, I didn't have the answers. I didn't know where I was going. But I wouldn't be standing behind this pulpit here today were it not for God's kindness and his grace in leading every step of my journey. And it was only clear in hindsight. It was only clear by looking back. You can see the fingerprints of how God has worked. So I tell you this to testify to the truth that God is trustworthy. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, he will set straight your paths. Because the reality of it is, the God that you trust to save you, you can trust to lead you all the way to heaven. He knows what's best. And so what anxiety, worry, or question do you have today? Maybe it is something practical, like a job, thinking through college, who to get married to. Maybe you're a parent wander, wondering about a wandering child and how things are going to turn out for them. Maybe you're in a difficult financial situation and you don't know what the future holds. I can't tell you what all the answers to those questions are. But based off the authority of the Word of God, what I can tell you is trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Close with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you don't just leave us to walk aimless, but that the promise from your word is that as we live our Christian lives for your glory, you're the one leading us each step of the way. So I pray, Lord, that this morning for each one of us here, we would examine our footing, that we would not look to our own understanding, but instead, no matter what the trial or the opportunity or the question that may arise in our hearts may be, that our aim should be like Jehoshaphat's was to look to you, knowing that you're the one who wins our battles and you're the one who makes provision and you're the one that we can rest in and lean on because you are faithful, sovereign, and powerful. And you love us. And you loved us so much you sent your son to die for us so that we could have that relationship and that fellowship with you that transforms us from the inside out and that ultimately guides us all the way until we make it to heaven where we see you face to face. Help us to trust you today, Lord. Help us to trust you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.